was the kids are exiting. Uh, even though it's almost 70 degrees outside, it's, uh, it is almost the end of December. Now, I'm not complaining, and you guys know what happens when I make comments about the weather in church. It all falls apart next week, so when it gets cold, don't blame me. But, you know, this time of the year when it's starting to get cold, uh, a lot of people start getting sick. And a lot of people in our church have already been sick. And during this time of the year, uh, people start washing hands more. And I wish I had stock in Lysol because people are buying Lysol. And, and so I got to thinking about this that this week. And uh, you, you guys have heard of germaphobes, right? You know, and so I was going to do a top 10 list of germaphobes, that, uh, but I won't do that. But there was some funny things that were on there. So if, if you happen to have uh, more than five hand sanitizers in your car, well, then you might be. I'm just kidding. Um, but maybe you are. You know, and I'd always heard that those who are germaphobes actually end up getting sicker more than those who aren't, so I wanted to do a little research on that, and to be honest, there's not a whole lot out there other than the fact that they might be right, that the more that they wash their hands, the, the less they actually get sick, even though I'd heard it was the other way around. But either way you slice it, um, this time of the year, with the doors closed and different things, there are a whole lot more germs around than there are other times of the year. But I got to thinking about the church, and we've been talking the last month about the Americanized church and what we've made the gospel and how we've chosen to do church, and I got to thinking this, and so here's the title of my sermon today. It is, the title of the sermon is Disinfection or Multiplication. Just as much as we like to disinfect things in our homes this time of year, to get the germs off our hands and off the doorknobs and everywhere else, we're spraying lice all the way. In the American church, have we not in some ways done the same thing? That if people come within our doors, as we've suggested in previous weeks, it's not really the biblical model to bring them here, but for us to go there. As people come within the doors, do we not disinfect them to make them look like us? And so as we go through our sermon today, I just want us to look at, we're going to look at two very, very familiar passages, Great Commission passages, that I want us to think about how do we choose to do church as a local body of believers? Is it more on this side of, we want to disinfect you and make you look a certain way before we would ever send you out, or are we really concerned about multiplying disciples? You know, as we saw last week, that one of the things that we've done is we made the gospel all about us. We've taken the world out of John 3.16, and we've all heard this before, and I know I've even said it before. Hey, take the world out and put yourself there. Put your name. And we've made the gospel all about us. And when the gospel becomes all about us, the church comes becomes all about us. And when the church becomes all about us, then we become disinfectors because we're a little uncomfortable when the lost come. Well, guess what? We were all lost. We're all in need of disinfection. But whose job is it to do that? It's God's, and his word will do plenty of a job doing that. We would just get people reading the word and allowing the word to transform lives rather than thinking that that's our job. And so this morning, I want us to go back and look at the final words of Jesus. Imagine that his 11 disciples are standing there as he, he comes to them and, uh, in Matthew 28. You guys probably have this memorized, that here's the 11 disciples uh, in Galilee on this mountain right before Jesus is about to go back to heaven. And, and when they saw him, they bowed down and they worshiped him because now they know. They are convinced. They know exactly who he is. And Jesus came to them and he said this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And then he says this, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So I want you to imagine these 11 men who, when you look at these guys, these aren't the guys that we would have chosen to be the church leaders. These aren't the guys with their gift mix that we would have thought would have been the ones that God chose to, to start the whole church with. Matter of fact, they were probably all the wrong guys. But because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, because they believed in the teaching of Jesus, and because they obeyed his teaching, God turned the world upside down. And we are here today because of the way they chose to do church. And I want us just to think about this. If this was the only portion of Scripture that we had, and it's not, of course, but if it was the only portion of Scripture we had, and we were commissioned with going and starting the church, how would we do church? Would it be the same way we do today? Maybe it would, but I would suggest it probably would be significantly different. And I want us to ask ourselves a question. What is the best way for us to multiply God's glory among the nations? Here's the command that Jesus gave his disciples. Make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Well, when they come to Christ, you baptize them. We're going to get to do that next week in our service. And then you teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. You know, and, and I will be with you always. Yeah, they understood this. And so if we were those 11 guys and we were coming together to try to decide how we were going to do church, would we do it the way we're doing it today? And so for the rest of this morning, I want us to go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and we'll look at verse 47 a little bit later. And we're going to see how they chose to do church, and we're going to look at this again, a passage that many of us have memorized, but I want us to look at it from a little bit different lens. If we were doing these things that it says they were committed to, with the idea of making God's glory known to all nations, how would we do it? And so Acts 2.42 we're familiar with this, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all came among every soul. And many wonders and signs were being, being done through the apostles. Here's the beginning of the church. And they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because these men had been with Jesus. There's a variety of things I want us to see from this passage, maybe from a little bit different lens, that as these men were trying to fulfill the command that Jesus gave them in Matthew 18 of making disciples of all nations, and they came together, that they were probably looking at things a little bit different than we are. May I suggest this? That if we're going to be committed to the preaching and teaching of God's word, then we have to be committed to multiplying preaching. Let me explain what I mean by that. That if I came here every Sunday morning with the idea of preaching God's word and every Sunday school teacher and, and teacher of the word was thinking about the multiplication of disciples every time we opened up God's word, we would probably have a little bit different perspective on it, don't you think? That we need to be about the preaching and teaching of God's word in such a way that we are actually multiplying disciples. Because after all, that's the mission and the command that Jesus has given us as his church. But let me ask you this. If you came to church today with the mindset of, what can I learn today to multiply disciples? 
would your actions here in church be any different than they are week after week after week? I would suggest that they might be. Then rather than coming and listening to a, a message and be able to check that off my box and even feel better because I put some money in the offering plate and checked that off my box, that we actually came with a purpose. We came to learn to be equipped to go out into the world and make disciples. Matter of fact, I would suggest that most of you wouldn't even look at me the whole time. And not because you weren't in agreement with me, but because you were feverishly writing down every single thing that you could to learn from God's Word so that you could go out and make disciples. We would probably have a little bit different perspective than we do with, you know, right now in the American church. Part of it is because we have so much knowledge in our heads that, hey, I've heard this one before, Dave. Thank you very much. Are we listening to disinfect others? Or are we listening to become multiplying disciple makers? So the early church, when they came, they understood the importance and the power of the preaching and teaching of God's word. They were literally hanging on every word because these men had been with Jesus. But they were also committed to what I would call multiplying fellowship. That when they came together, we see in Acts chapter uh, 242 that they devote themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship you know we our idea of fellowship in the church i would suggest is slightly different than what their idea of fellowship in the church and consider our fellowship we come together and we just enjoy being together right and what do we talk about we talk about the the redskins and the cowboys beating up or the redskins and eagles beating up on the cowboys right uh, i was waiting for all you cowboy fans to uh Identify yourselves so we can pray. Let's just stop and pray right now, please. <laughs> but that's what our fellowship time is. We enjoy being together and picking on one another and different things. But if we had in mind multiplying fellowship, what would our conversations be like? If we had in mind that every time we came together, it was for the edification of the body so that we can go and make disciples of all nations, what would our conversations be like? I don't think they'd be about, the, oh my goodness, did you hear that the Eagles beat the Patriots? My goodness, who cares? It'd be more about, man, I'm trying to share with a guy at work and, and he, he just doesn't care. Anybody have any ideas on how I can engage him in a conversation? Or more than that, when we have our, our Christmas parties this time of the year, it wouldn't just be our Sunday school class. Matter of fact, it would be double what it normally is because we're using that as an opportunity to invite our unchurched friends to come and fellowship with us so they see what sweet, sweet fellowship is. And they leave not knowing what it was, but knowing that, hey, I want some more of that. That when we really understood multiplying fellowship, that we were coming together and, and we were being one as the body, that people see that and they want more. I think our fellowships would take on a whole different focus than what they typically do. Because when we understand the command of Jesus to go make disciples of all nations. That means that everywhere we go, is, and, and, the, and the main verb there is not go, it's make. That while you're going, every single place that you go, make disciples. The early church was committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to multiplying fellowship, but they were also committed to what I would call multiplying worship. And you might look at this in the passage and go, Dave, where are you getting this from? Because it says they were the apostles' teaching fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Well, we need to understand what they meant by the breaking of bread. It wasn't what we think the breaking of bread is because we're good Baptists, so we're going to eat something when we get together. 
uh, participated in a Christmas service a couple of days ago, and it was kind of the joke, you know, because, hey, we're Baptists, we got to eat. You know, and I wasn't complaining because what we ate was pretty good, but that's not what we're talking about here. They would come together almost every single day, and they would be talking about and having fellowship together so they can get more into the teaching of the Word. But when they talk about breaking bread, what they're talking about is communion. Every time they came together, they were remembering what Jesus did. Why? Because they wanted to have this laser focus on being the church that God had called them to be, of making disciples of every single people group that there possibly is. Everybody, they come together. And so they were remembering every time why they were there in the first place. They remember what Christ did on the cross, what, what Jesus did this time of the year. And if you really haven't spent time in the past meditating on Jesus taking on the form of an infant, I encourage you this week to think about that. We're going to talk about it a lot next week. But here's God himself, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God Almighty one moment, and the next moment he's taking on the form of a baby. He can't do anything so that he could demonstrate his love in such a way that while we were still messed up sinners, that he would one day die for us. You see, they understood what multiplying fellowship was all about. They came together to be encouraged and admonish one another to, to spur each other on to good deeds. Why? To make disciples of all nations. But there's another thing that we see in this passage that they were committed to, and I'm going to call it multiplying prayer. That as they come together, uh, they, their prayers I would suggest are a lot different than ours. I wish we had a YouTube video on prayers from the early church and just to see what it was like. Have you ever wondered what their prayer times were like? Because it seems like every time uh, you, you read in Acts, they're together praying. And, and after they're done praying, something crazy happens. Well, when's the last time you were part of a prayer meeting when something crazy happened? Well, maybe it has a little bit to do with what we're praying about and the purpose of our prayers that would have been, I would suggest, slightly different than theirs. You know, and so... If we're thinking about the multiplication of disciples when we're praying, how might that impact the prayers that we prayed this morning? I think we can still pray for the same things. We're praying for people's healing. We're praying for things. But it's with a little bit different perspective. God, would you, would you glorify yourself? If you will, will you glorify yourself and heal this person in such a way that every one of their lost family members will know that you're God? And our prayers take on a whole different focus and meaning that we're begging the throne room of God for God to glorify himself, not so that we get to spend more time with this person, but so everybody that doesn't know Jesus, who is a friend of theirs, will know that he is God. Our prayers will take a little bit different focus. Or we're praying for different things, that we're asking God to bring glory to himself. Because why? God loves to bring glory to himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. That we're asking him to glorify himself through answering these prayers so that the lost would know, so that we would be encouraged. Our prayers would take on a little bit different focus and more of a laser focus than what I think we do sometimes in what we've made the Americanized church. You, know, you guys are aware that even right now we have an elder and a deacon that are out there praying for the service. But you know what my will is? That we wouldn't just have two people praying, that we'd have 12 or 20 or 30 people that are out there praying every service. Why? Because we believe in the power of prayer, that we believe in multiplying prayers, where we are praying for every person that is here present, every person that's watching live, that God would do something in their life as the Word of God is being taught in our Sunday school classes, that the Word of God is being preached, that God's Word would transform lives, because God knows that apart from Him, what? We can do nothing. 
So here's the early church. As they chose to do church, they were committed to the apostles' teaching, which was basically teaching the words that Jesus had taught them, teaching people to obey everything God had commanded. They, they, were, they came together you know, for sweet fellowship, for multiplying worship, for multiplying prayers. But see, you hear they were committed to this. They were committed to multiplying multipliers. The purpose of the church is not for us to come together as a church and feel good about ourselves. The purpose of the church is to come together so that we get equipped with the words of God to go out and be disciple makers. Verse 42 says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. But then 47 says this, and then the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because the church came together to be equipped to go out and become multipliers. Our mission for this church, the specific vision for this church, is to reach and impact 200,000 people with a life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ by the year 2020. Well, let me just give you a newsflash. That is not going to happen with the current leadership of this church. Now, I don't mean to get rid of us all. What I mean is the current leadership of this church can never do that on their own. We, as a body of believers, have got to come together and be equipped to go out, not to bring people here to be disinfected, but to go out there in the midst of all the chaos and be the church, to actually share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be a part of being who God has called us to be. I've got this next list from David Platt. It's a a church of spectators versus a church of disciple makers. And so let me read the first to you. A church of spectators, leaders are directors. They direct you in what to do. In a church of spectators, leaders oversee ministry for people. Leaders manage the mission. The primary focus of leaders is on designing programs. Why? Because that's what we've made the American church. We're going to make all these programs. We're going to design these programs so that people come to us. Leaders know, are known for the decisions they make. Leadership, is, uh, leadership development is accidental. Every once in a while, a leader pops up. Especially gifted members make disciples, but not everybody. Growth happens by addition, one at a time. Complexity is normal. And prayer is supplemental. You see, in a church of spectators, we get complex because what we do is we make all these programs to get people to come and get people to stay. May I suggest to you the purpose of the church was never to get people to stay. It was to get people to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, a church of disciple makers, and I would suggest this was the early church, leaders become equippers. I've started reading the book um, you know, by a pastor down in Durham, North Carolina, and this is, this is a comment he made in the book. The moment I became a pastor, I left the ministry. You're thinking, what on earth? This is what he meant. The moment I became a pastor, I became an equipper. I was no longer a minister. My job, as much as I enjoy doing ministry, is to teach you how to do ministry, to equip you to do ministry. And so leaders are equippers. Leaders mobilize people for ministry. We encourage you and excite you that Sunday morning should be this time of excitement where we're coming and we're getting the word. We're writing stuff down feverishly so we can reproduce it when we go out. Leaders unleash missionaries. Go figure that. 
not missionaries that, that we come and raise money for for the IMB to send them out. Church leaders raise up missionaries from where? Their own church. Where we go, everywhere we are, we're missionaries. The primary focus of leaders are on the development of people, not programs. Leaders are known for the disciple makers they produce. Leadership development is intentional, not accidental. Every single member makes it disciple makers. Growth happens by multiplication of disciple makers. Simplicity is absolutely critical, and prayer is foundational. If we had to choose where we are on that list, I think it's the first, don't you? That's the Americanized church. I don't think if we were standing there on the mountain after Jesus just ascended and he said, go make disciples of all nations, we would have ever come up with the plan that we have today. I really don't think that would be the case. I think we'd be doing some of the same things, right? The believers coming together for the preaching and teaching of the word, but so that we could go out. I want us to begin asking questions. I want us to begin asking, what is the best way for us to use the resources that God has given us to go make disciples globally, of all nations, everywhere we go? That doesn't mean we send everybody overseas, but it means we send some people overseas. It means that everywhere we go, that we are constantly thinking, how can we draw these people closer to Jesus Christ? It's not about bringing them here. It's about us coming and getting equipped so we can go there. How would Sunday look if every single Sunday we had people coming forward to saying, hey, I just want to let you know that I just accepted Jesus Christ because of Bill and Sally. Bill and Sally have poured their lives in me for the last year. And at first, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. But you know what? This week, I dropped to my knees and I accepted Jesus Christ in my personal soul. How exciting would that be if every Sunday we had that stuff going on? where lives were being transformed every single Sunday because of the gospel, that we were being equipped and going forth, that when people came, they came as absolute messes. And rather than saying, we're going to disinfect, he said, we're going to multiply. Last week, we talked about the blank check. And there's some down here on this altar in front of me, and I know a lot of people were confused about that. And you know, I, my own daughter came up to me and said, Dad, what's the deal with this blank check? You know, I don't have any money. What do you want me to do? You want me to write some? I don't have any money. That's not what we're, what we're asking. The idea is this. What if you said to God, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to multiply your glory to all the nations? What if you gave God a blank check and said, God, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do. In fact, I'm a little bit scared of that, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes for your glory to be made known to all nations. What would it look like if we as a church were willing to hold even this church with open hands and say, God, whatever you want to do to make your glory known amongst the nations, we're willing. I don't know what that means. It probably would mean that God calls some of you overseas as missionaries. It probably means that God keeps a lot of you right where you are. But he begins to use you where you are to make his glory known. It might mean that we do crazy things around here for the sake of his glory being known more and more. It might even mean that we 
give this building to a church plant and we go somewhere else so that we can make God's glory known in multiplying ways and reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might mean that we go and plant other churches, both in this state and around the world, to make God's glory known. I don't know what it means for me. In fact, I don't know what it means for you, but I do know this. When God's people who are called Christians, called by the name of Jesus Christ, will humble themselves and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for your glory to be made known among all the nations, guess what happens? God shows up. And when God shows up, awesome things take place. Things that you and I will talk about the rest of lives and our children's children will be talking about their entire lives, that we are a part of a church like this. And so as we come to this time of invitation, if we're going to reach 200,000 people with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, I can't do it. Your pastoral staff can't do it. Your elders and deacons can't do it. All of us have got to be willing to say, God, whatever it takes, I'm willing to be a part of making your glory known everywhere I go. So there's some of these checks that are still up here on the altar. I encourage you, if you haven't already, to prayerfully consider putting your name in the bottom and say, and in the, the line for the amount, God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask to make your glory known to all nations. And then to put it back up on the altar. God, gave his son to lay it all down so that we could have this amazing relationship with him and have our lives transformed with his gospel. But he didn't do it so that we can sit back in warm church pews for the rest of our life. He did it so that we would become disciple makers. Father, I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life and for how you've transformed my life. And I'm so grateful that you are a God that cares, that you're a God who's concerned, that you're a God who loved the entire world and sent your son to die for me and sent your son to die for us and sent your son so that we can go and be proclaimers of your good news. And so, Father, I pray that you would call us as a church to humble ourselves and to say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. God, I pray that you would call more people to to join this church and to become members of this church so that we together can make your glory known everywhere we go and have as much influence on making your glory known globally. God, so that one day as we stand and every knee bows, we will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with us? Jesus, Son of God, He came down from heaven's throne. Let's praise Him today.